You can save 15% or more at Amazon when you pay with Bitcoin or Bitcoin Cash. Just go to purse.bogosity.tv. You can set your own discount. 5% gets you fastest delivery, or you can set it to 30% or more if you're not in a hurry. Purse makes it so easy to save money at Amazon by buying with crypto. Just go to purse.bogosity.tv and start saving now. Welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the week of August 4th, 2019. The podcast that got up to dance but never got the chance. This is your host, Shane Killian, and returning this week is Chris Hangartner. Welcome back, Chris. Wow, you accept co-hosts now? Yeah, co-hosts. That used to be a fairly regular thing here. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Then real life showed up. Yeah, it keeps doing that. All right, let's glaciate the news of the bogus. We'll start off this week with an update about a story we were covering kind of off and on. That's the arrest and trial of hacker Marcus Hutchins, also known as Malwaretech. He's the guy who single-handedly saved the world from the WannaCry ransomware. Oh, sounds like a hero, but not to the state. (laughs) Well, uh, he's a security researcher and educator who specializes in the research of new malware and teaches others via live stream to reverse engineer malware attacks. Mm. And, I mean, he's just done so much good. So, back in 2017, he was examining WannaCry, and he found that it used an unregistered domain name as a kill switch, so he registered the domain name and just completely deactivated it. Wow. And just stopped it in his tracks. Yeah, quite a simple solution when you dig around. Well, it, it wasn't that simple if you read the story about how uh, he and his partner went through it. I mean, it was sleepless nights, and I mean, of course, as soon as they got it going, the hackers started slamming it with... Uh, DDoS attacks from botnets trying to take it down. So, I mean, yeah, th- there was a lot of work involved. Well, you know, yeah, and contrary to what some cyber TV shows portray, you know, a computer virus or malware isn't, you know, just like one line of clone. Like, it's usually like hundreds, if not thousands of lines of code. Yeah, and I mean, this thing, it was a worm that just ravaged Ukraine, Europe, and the UK. I think we talked about this when it hit the NHS and pretty much took down almost the entire country's uh, the healthcare system, doctors had to turn patients away, emergency rooms had to close. So, I mean, it was bad. It was really bad. Yeah, and it's largely because a lot of those government stuff had crappy security. Well, and also because they had centralized it all in one place. You know, if we've had hospitals here get hit, but it's really just been that one hospital system because we're very decentralized with our hospitals, but the NHS is so centralized you know, if you hit it and you can take down the whole thing. Ah. So, uh, he gained worldwide fame for that. But that was around the time the U.S. government decided to arrest him and prosecute him for crimes he committed as a teenager. Oh, great. That classic thing. Yeah. Yeah. All of the charges except two ended up being dropped when he, uh, pleaded guilty to the two charges, one of creating malware and the other of selling malware. And it only earned him like a few thousand dollars and that malware didn't really cause that much. I mean, this was small potatoes and they were acting like he was the hacker of the century or something. Uh, yeah. What is it with governments and, and society doing that? It's like, you know, you do all these good things and then suddenly you're a demon because a long time ago when you were 16 years old, you went to a party, you got drunk and you did a little bit of marijuana and you fooled around with a girl. Yeah, and the U.S. government was seeking the maximum punishment of 10 years in prison and a $500,000 fine and just got the ire of cybersecurity experts and cypherpunks all over the world. 
Yeah, it's... Oh, we gotta be hard on crime, so... Hmm, you smoked a teensy-weensy little bit of marijuana when you were 16 years old at a party. Yeah. Ten years in prison! <laughs> oh, yeah. But, there's a happy ending. The judge in this case has set him free. Oh, that's a rare moment. Yeah, U.S. District Judge Joseph Peter Statmuller said that the malware Hutchins helped stop was much more damaging than the two programs he created and sentenced him to time served with a year of supervised release. Eh, so he's not free, but it's better than yeah. what the feds wanted. Yeah, and check out what the judge said to him in the sentencing, quote, it's going to take people like you with your skills to come up with solutions because that's the only way we're going to eliminate this entire subject of the woefully inadequate security protocols. You know what? Something tells me that that judge wanted to just flat out acquit him, but if he didn't, the feds would just come in. So he's like, okay, I'll sentence him to something to get the feds off our back. Well, I mean, it was just, it was a slap on the wrist type punishment. Yeah, I've heard judges will often do that if they think, you know, the crime is ludicrous, but there's a high pressure from, like, the higher-ups, you know, saying, no, we gotta punish this guy. They're like, okay, I'll sentence him to, like, a month or so of supervised house arrest. How's that? Yeah, but this judge went one step further and encouraged Hutchins to seek a pardon. Now, that's rare. I'm not sure how often that happens. Oh, yeah, most judges are, sadly, they're like that judge from the movie Holes. They'll say, I could sentence you to several years in prison, and I will not lose a wink of sleep over it. That kind of mentality, that just messes up with the justice system. So Brian Klein, one of Hutchinson's attorneys, said, quote, We are thrilled that the judge recognized Marcus's very important contributions to keeping the world safe and letting him go home a free man today. Marcus appreciates the support he received from around the world these past two years. Now, there's an interesting wrinkle here. Hutchins is a British citizen. He was arrested in Las Vegas by federal marshals in August of 2017 when he tried to board a flight to go back home after attending the security conference DEFCON. Here's the ironic part. This whole time, he's basically, I think he's been under house arrest. He's been unable to leave the U.S. and go back home. Now... Once he goes back home, since he'll have a criminal record, he might not be able to return. That's messed up. <laughs> I mean, it would be really dumb if they did that, but this is the U.S. government we're talking about. Yeah. And to a lesser extent, the U.K. government. But if the whole point of the justice system is to rehabilitate criminals, Hutchins had already rehabilitated himself. So it's really hard to see what their motivation was other than to try and blow Hutchinson's crimes out of proportion so they can showboat to the public about how they're keeping us so, so secure. Well, like you said earlier, the U.S. justice system is not about rehabilitation. It's about punishment. Yeah, it's more about vengeance. Oh, yeah. Vengeance and power. are annoying, but ad blockers prevent publishers from making money. What if you could support your favorite websites, YouTube creators, Twitch streamers, social accounts, and many more ad-free and without paying anything, and even make some money yourself? It's not a pipe dream, it's airtime. Go to airtime.bogosity.tv and get the browser extension and you'll earn cryptocurrency for the sites you visit, and so will the publisher. This is not a crypto miner. You and the publisher will both get part of the reward from current miners of the BitTube cryptocurrency, with no middleman taking a cut. 
Even if the publisher hasn't signed up yet, his tube will be put into a dedicated wallet that he can claim upon sign-up. You can also use your tube to tip publishers and even purchase products. Airtime monetizes users and publishers with no ads or crypto miners. Go to airtime.bogosity.tv and start making money now. Say, if you're tired of the promos in this podcast, well, the patrons got it early and with no ads or promos. Just go to patreon.bogosity.tv and donate at any level. Of course, the reason why we need things like banking and deposit insurance to be in the hands of government is so they can be available to everyone without discriminating like those horrible private companies do. Now, just in case there's anyone out there who isn't laughing your heads off at this, we've seen case after case of people being quote-unquote unbanked is the term they use for their political views. So, yeah, that's all a load of crap. Oh, yeah. I think uh, when I was in high school, there was actually a controversy where the IRS was kind of doing something like that, you know, with groups like the Tea Party and various libertarian groups. They were saying, you know, oh, yeah, we don't like your politics. So we contacted your bank and said, yeah, don't do business with these guys and mandated that they not do business with you. Yeah. And famously, it's also been done with uh, marijuana dispensaries in states where it's legal. But the feds say, oh, you know, Bank, that's criminal enterprises, so banks can't get that. So they have to deal in cash or cryptocurrency because they can't get bank accounts, even though it's perfectly legal for them to do what they're doing. Yeah, that's how they're trying to keep marijuana legal in places where it is illegal. They basically say, okay, fine, it's legal to grow and sell marijuana, but we're going to make it illegal for anyone else to do business with you. Well, now the FDIC has admitted that they've been discriminating against gun stores. And that didn't come easily. It was only after a lot of businesses threatened legal action and with the help of a congressman with banking experience. But finally, they admitted that they were improperly discriminating against gun dealers as part of Obama's Operation Choke Point, which was supposed to be about stopping fraud and money laundering. But you see how that goes. Oh, yeah. Actually, they did something like this a couple years ago, but it wasn't with guns. It was with ammunition, like uh, Hornady, which makes really good ammunition. They had a big financial crisis because the government was trying to basically shut down the majority of the banks that they did business with. Yeah, I think this might be the same thing because the FDI published a statement from 2015 where but they basically admit they've been involved in having many gun dealers and firearm stores, along with many other legal businesses, have their access to banking systems restricted or even cut off, usually without even giving them a reason. Believe it or not, I was at a Cabela's one time and I was talking about, you know, gun prices and people failed to realize one of the reasons why guns are so expensive, even though mechanically speaking, they're less complicated than your computer is because of all this they have to go through to open a gun store. The congressional investigation that prompted this revealed emails where FDIC members were shown to be, quote, scheming to influence banks' decisions on who to do business to ensure banks get the message about the businesses the regulators don't like and pressuring banks to cut credit or close those accounts, effectively discouraging entire industries. You want to know something? I did a little research on this, and apparently uh, the idea of um, pressuring banks to not do business, it goes all the way back to the 1800s, and it was actually done because racist, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant um, politicians didn't want banks doing business with those filthy Irish Catholics or German Jews. Fun fact, when Bank of America was first formed, it was actually called the Bank of Ireland because it was founded by a handful of Irish people that just happened to have quite a little bit of money. They were getting fed up that it was illegal for them to open bank accounts with the local banks. 
Representative Blaine Lutkemeyer of Missouri said, quote, The FDIC has allowed a culture within their agency to blossom that they believe it's okay to impose their personal opinions and value system in a regulatory way. Oh, but it's in the name of public safety. Well, steps are now being taken to correct this, but the cat may be out of the bag now that the FDIC knows that they can intimidate businesses and businesses know to fear the FDIC. Even if these specific actions are reversed, it may be easier for them to commit future harm. But this is exactly why you shouldn't believe politicians when they say, oh, they just want to regulate, you know, something like cryptocurrency because, oh, they just want to stop money laundering and fraud and so on. That's exactly what Operation Chokepoint was claimed to be for. And you see now how it was used. Oh, yeah. And it just starts from one area and goes to another. Yeah. And they really don't like cryptocurrency because it stops them from doing things like this. If you're on the Wi-Fi in a coffee shop or hotel, anyone on that network can get your traffic. Do you really trust all of those strangers? For that matter, do you really trust your ISP? A VPN can protect you from prying eyes, disguise your location, and even foil government censors. It's essential in this day and age. So go to vpn.pagosity.tv and you'll be taken to BoxPN. Starting at just $2.99 a month, you can get unlimited high-speed connections to VPN servers all over the world. And they don't log connections, so your privacy is assured. Traveling abroad, just VPN home. And don't worry about what those other governments are doing. Back at home, stop your ISP from traffic shaping and messing with the quality internet access you're paying good money for. You can connect from multiple machines at once, including your smartphone or tablet, and it supports all the secure standards, including OpenVPN and SSTP. Bypass sensors and surveillance with your own secure VPN connection. Go to vpn.pagosity.tv. There's been a lot of pressure of late put on to schools and mental health providers by trans activists acting against what they claim is discrimination. Well, guess what? As many have suspected, all of this so-called activism, which could more accurately be labeled as bullying by people pushing a political agenda, is actually harming children, not helping them. Oh, yeah, I have a lot to say on this one. Because, you know, look, I am not against people doing things to their own body, but... Wait until they're sexually mature and mentally capable of coming up with complicated decisions. Don't automatically say, oh yeah, my son, he likes to play with girls' toys every now and then, so he's obviously transsexual. I'm going to sexually reassign him. No, don't do that. It's like Jesus, people. Yeah, and also make sure you've considered all of the alternatives, because there are treatments for that other than a full gender reassignment. And that's another thing, too. I once was on this... uh lgbt group on a forum one time and i asked the scenario what if there's a guy you know who's transsexual but he doesn't want to transition and he actually wants to seek maybe some type of therapy to stop the thoughts and all that and everyone was like oh he's self-hating himself he can't do that he needs to reassign or else he's gonna be permanently depressed and kill himself and it's like you know you claim you're for your right to do what you want with your body unless it's a decision they don't want to do exactly yeah that's what it's always been So psychotherapist Marcus Evans, who's the head of the only NHS clinic to provide gender counseling and transition services, says that experts are actually afraid to properly counsel their patients for fear of being labeled transphobic. Quote, 
I believe the trans-political agenda has encroached on the clinical environment surrounding and within the Gender Identity Development Service. Young people need an independent clinical service that has the long-term interests of the patient at heart. To some extent, this requires a capacity to stand up to pressure coming from various sources, from the young person, their family, peer groups, online and social networking pressures, and from highly politicized pro-trans groups. Here's something those pro-trans groups don't tell you, is that a transsexual is actually far more likely to become depressed and commit suicide after they transition rather than before, and it has nothing to do with segregation or discrimination because they've actually compared the suicide rates to actual groups that have been historically repressed, and we don't see that kind of suicide rate, but we do see a similar suicide rate amongst um, people who have mental illnesses like schizophrenia but don't get proper treatment for it. Yeah, and there's also data showing that children who take hormone blockers have reported an increase in thoughts of suicide and self-harm. I mean, you mess around with your hormones, that's going to do some stuff to you. I mean, seriously, you know, that's why I hate that TV show, All That Jazz, a little off topic here, because, you know, she took puberty blockers, and you know, one of the funny irony is that she wanted, you know, to get that procedure where they convert your, part of my language, your penis into a vagina, and when she went to the doctor, the doctor said, well, because of your puberty blockers you took, you didn't get enough testosterone in your system, so your penis is too small for the surgery, basically. Wow. And in just five years, the number of children referred to his service increased from 468 to 2,519, more than fivefold. And something tells me that I think the kid isn't really transsexual for the most part, but the parents like, oh yeah, he's definitely transsexual. I'm seeing a lot of cases where it's pretty clearly that the kid, you know, the parents claiming my kid's transsexual, it's because they wanted a boy or a girl, but they got the opposite. And rather than just embracing it and just adjusting, they're like, oh, I'll just claim he's transsexual and change them into the gender I wanted. Well, I think it's also becoming trendy now. Oh, yeah. It's for social brownie points. It's like, oh, yeah, my son's transsexual and he's faced discrimination. He's been bullied for wearing dresses, but I keep encouraging him. Look how awesome of a parent I am. Yeah. So in a new paper, Evans talked about the experience of someone he refers to pseudonymously as Dagny, a woman who in her teens identified as a trans man. But she is now detransitioned and said that she was influenced by activists on Tumblr. And she said, quote, one of those unhealthy beliefs I held was the belief that if you have gender dysphoria, you must transition, and anyone that appeared to stand in my way was a transphobe, an alt-right bigot. Well, Evans resigned from the trust in February in protest as a result of concerns raised from staff members, quote, They reported inadequate assessments, patients rushed through for early medical interventions, and an inability to stand up to pressure from trans lobbies. Of the activists, he said, quote, The mind that is free to think or ask difficult questions is treated as a real threat. TV producers and journalists continually report that while people are willing to speak in confidence to them about their reservations about treatment in these areas, they shy away from being named for fear of being accused of being bigoted and transphobic and sometimes either disciplined or even sacked for speaking their mind. Yeah, like today's society, it's like, you know, again, you know, I'm not against sexual reassignment surgery, but people, you shouldn't be pressuring people for one simple treatment, you know, 
Because the thing is, like any treatment for a psychological disorder, it has consequences. This idea that if you transition, you'll be happy and healthy, that's bullcrap. You know, there are consequences that come with sexual reassignment surgery. You know, that's why you need to consider all your options. And he said, quote, A gender-affirmative approach is being adopted by many school counselors. These parents all expressed alarm that, after their children suddenly announced they believed they were the wrong sex, practitioners were immediately endorsing the belief that this was the cause of the child's distress, rather than offering time to explore perhaps long-standing psychological and developmental issues. And in fact, five clinicians at the Royal College of Pediatricians and Child Health have resigned over concerns that children were being sent for life-altering medical intervention without a full assessment of the alternatives. And another clinician, Dr. Kirsty Entwistle, said that traumatic early experiences might be a factor in a child's desire to transition, but these weren't being investigated by medical staff out of fear of being labeled transphobic. And people, that's what really causes the suicide and post-op transsexuals. It's not the discrimination. It's because they have a mental condition that's not being properly treated. So you're only, it's basically putting a band-aid on a deep puncture wound. You know, yeah, you're covering up the wound, but you're not dealing with the internal damage. Yeah. And I mean, you point this out and they just say, oh, well, it's all part of the conspiracy of the alt-right deplorables. You know, how dare they want to examine someone's full psychological profile and consider all the options before subjecting them to incredibly risky and life-altering medical procedures. Oh, yeah, I mean, that's why I like Blair White, because she's a transsexual on our side, because, you know, she did transition, but she also pointed this out, you know, people called her a hypocrite because of that, but she's like, yeah, I transitioned, but that was only after years of mental health consultation and, and exploring all my options, you know. A lot of these people, on the other hand, are just like, oh, you're gender dysphoric, go get a sex change operation. Yeah, it's not quite that simple. Yeah. And they're really doing them such a disservice and causing them so much harm in the process. We live in a world where light bulbs connect to the internet, and recent attacks on them prove that your online security is under threat like never before. Not only your websites, but the internet-enabled devices you buy. And the biggest problem is weak passwords. That's why you need LastPass. LastPass allows you to randomly generate strong, unique passwords on the web and on your internet-enabled devices, all protected by one master password. LastPass sets up in minutes and gives you secure automatic logins throughout the web, synchronizing across all your browsers, all your computers, and even your mobile devices, at home, at work, or on the road. It even securely stores sensitive form data, including credit card numbers, backup sensitive documents, software licenses, Wi-Fi logins, and more. And with LastPass Premium, you can get these benefits on other applications, manage passwords for your entire family, and also get priority customer support. Sign up at password.bogosity.tv for a free month of LastPass Premium. Log in securely everywhere using the last password you'll ever have to remember. Go to password.bogosity.tv and get LastPass now. And now it's time to pervaporate this week's Biggest Bogani Emitter. 
And this week it goes to Steve Montiero, an Orlando law enforcement officer trying to pass himself off as a traffic safety expert under the monitor Trooper Steve. (laughs) He even managed to get the Orlando Sentinel to call him that, and it's scary. He was made basically the poster child for Florida Highway Patrol, and he began engaging in public affairs, doing everything from corporate interviews to news stories. And let me guess, he's one of those police officers that... Their job is basically to set up speed traps and pull you over and give you unfair fines simply because your lights are too dim. Yeah, and that's the thing. Being a state trooper does not mean you're any kind of expert on traffic safety. In fact, it probably means just the opposite because, at best, they're brainwashed into thinking that incredibly unsafe traffic regulations like speed limits are necessary for safety. And at worst, they're liars who are acting to make money for the state and don't care how many people get harmed in the process. Because really, that's all state police seems to really do these days is just pull people over for traffic stops and occasionally they perform unconstitutional raids on your car because they think you have drugs. Oh, we'll get to that. So this is in a story he wrote for Orlando's News 6 WKMG. He gave the following advice to people, quote, If you're up to no good and get stopped by the police and have large amounts of cash on you, you're going to have something to worry about. Civil Asset Forfeiture Act requires you to show proof of cash when law enforcement is conducting an investigation. Anything around $5,000 or more, you should always have some type of paperwork showing where that money has come from legally. This is an outright lie. There is nothing illegal whatsoever about having cash regardless of the amount, and people are under no obligation to carry around documentation showing where it came from. A lot of, you know, financial experts actually say, you know, I mean, one of the best ways to prevent yourself from getting too much in debt is to, if at all possible, try to pay as much as you can with cash, because with cash, you tend to be more frugal and tend to be more of, well, is this worth a deal? Because with a credit card, you know, it's... You know, it's not unheard of for people to just say, okay, just put it on the card and forget about it, realizing you got to pay that back. But that's becoming harder nowadays because with this precious war on drugs, you know, it's like if you're trying to buy something very expensive and you're going to pay it with cash and you've got like $5,000 in cash saved up in your car and they find it, they're going to be like, oh, no, you must be a drug dealer. Why would someone have 5000 bucks in cash in their car? Yeah, and civil asset forfeiture means that the cops can just take the money and they get to keep like 85% of it and use it for whatever their department needs. And you have no options because they don't even charge you with a crime. They charge you the money, declare it to be guilty, and just keep it. Oh, yeah, and this has actually been controversy because there's been cases where, like, owners of small-time, you know, car dealerships, they've rented out cars to people. That person uses that car in, like, a bank robbery, and, you know, they, they get the guy, and, you know, they put him in jail and all that, and the guy says, well, can I have the car back because I need it for my business? And they're like, oh, yeah, uh, we kept it and sold it at a police auction. It's like, Really? It's like, people, the car didn't commit a crime. The person driving it did. That's actually another reason why a lot of people, even if they're not charged with a crime, that's why they're often bankrupt when they get arrested is because the police do shit like that. Yeah, and this limit of $5,000, he just made it up because cops routinely sees amounts less than that. Oh, yeah. Oh. And demonstrating that he doesn't know about the concept of innocent until proven guilty or just doesn't care, he puts the burden of proof entirely on the driver. Check out this anecdote, quote, I stopped a vehicle for speed and very dark window tint. Note that neither of those are dangerous, by the way. 
During the course of the traffic stop, I was overwhelmed by the smell of raw cannabis coming from the car. Yeah, funny how they always seem to smell cannabis even when it's not there. Oh, yeah. Like it wasn't in this case, spoiler alert. Yeah, cannabis does have a unique smell, but there's plenty of other things that smell just like it. I mean... Well, and you also don't know... I mean, he there's nothing stopping him from just making it up. And we keep seeing this because he says... Ultimately, a search was done of the car, but no narcotics were found. Okay, so what was he smelling? Yeah. You know, <laughs> you, you, you would think that the courts would like, would keep saying that. It's like, okay, either you're lying or there's something wrong with your smeller and you can't use that as an excuse to search someone's car. Or in my personal opinion, he's psychologically programmed to smell for drugs, you know. I mean, hey, it's been proven that happens a lot with drug sniffing dogs. It turns out, you know, the dogs, don't always get drugs it's just that they've been conditioned to act that way so they often will smell drugs in places where there are no drugs so he says quote what was found well i found ninety-five thousand dollars in cash hidden in the driver's seat the driver had no proof the funds belonged to him and it was temporarily seized the driver was given 30 days to show proof the money was his ultimately the driver never contacted us again about the cash but, I mean, how are you even supposed to prove something like that? Uh, I mean, the burden of proof is supposed to be on the state to prove that it's not his. And what happens is they're supposed to send him, like, a summons or something so he can get a court date so he can come in and challenge it. But not to Trooper Steve. He just gets to take the money because he smelled something that wasn't even there. Yep, he got to, as the song goes, he got to take the money and run. And Florida's civil forfeiture law actually says exactly the opposite of what he claims. According to Huffington Post, quote, Cash seizures still won't need to be preceded by an arrest, though under the new law, forfeiture of any property won't be made permanent unless law enforcement can prove beyond a reasonable doubt that it is linked to a crime. That is the same standard of proof required for a criminal conviction. Whereas to Trooper Steve, it's simply the person not calling them that's all the proof he needs. Yeah, the only way you can legally, you know, take someone's property is only if you prove it in a court of law that it's not theirs, you know, and this isn't what's going on. They're just saying, oh, we found too much cash, nobody has that amount of cash, so therefore you stole it or got it through shady reasons. And remember, this crap is being presented to the people of Orlando as the gospel truth from the mouth of an expert. (laughs) Yeah, and he's not an expert. He's just a state enforcer. He's a moneymaker for the state. That's all he's doing. And, of course, the state is behind this, too, because, you know, they get a portion of that civil asset forfeiture, and it makes them a lot of money. State troopers are money collectors. That's all they are. They don't keep us safe. Actually, historically, that's what the concept of state police had been in the past, because, I mean, there's been police departments going all the way back, you know, to ancient Roman times, and the idea of the police department being um the crime fighters... That didn't occur until the 1880s, you know, before that they were mostly just tax collectors. So all of that makes Trooper Steve Montiero this week's biggest bogan emitter. Do you have children or nieces or nephews? Are you homeschooling or just want to counter some of the socialist indoctrination most children get in school? 
If so, go to bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins and you'll be taken to a website where you can get some great books for elementary age children. The Tuttle Twins books are books about liberty and free market economics that include children's versions of Bastiat's The Law, Leonard Reed's I Pencil, and Hayek's The Road to Serfdom, as well as books about the Federal Reserve and how regulations protect business cronies. They'll learn about the harm caused by eminent domain or regulations passed in the name of safety and fundamental concepts of liberty. And as you can see from the sample pages on the website, they're all easy to read and nicely illustrated. They're just $9.99 a piece, or get a special discount as well as free bonuses when you purchase all five. You can even buy in bulk to donate to schools and local libraries. So get the Tuttle Twins books at bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins. And now let's peek behind the curtain of this week's Idiot And this week it goes to Capital One for the breach of names, addresses, phone numbers, birth dates, income, social security numbers, and much more of over 100 million accounts. Come on, people, did you learn nothing from Equifax? Yeah, this story is actually one of the reasons why I want to do this, because I have a Capital One card. Yeah. So after this is done, I need to go online and make sure that everything I have is safe and not compromised. I mean, hopefully it is, but... And and do the credit freeze on all the, the three major credit companies. Yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous to make people do that, but that's the situation that we're in. That they, they are just so bad at protecting our data that we have to actively take advantage of the few ways they can. And like you said, when I read that article, it says somewhere that several people in Capital One knew that they were unsecure and said, you know, hey, we should probably increase our security. And they're like, oh, that'll never happen to us. Yeah, that's what they keep saying. And I mean, these things are often known about for years. The IT department, you know, keeps trying to raise a stink and nothing happens. And so someone hacks it and... And in this case, the FBI has a suspect in custody, but depending on what she did following the breach, it may be too little too late, because if she sold the information or put it on the dark web or something like that, it's out there. Oh, yeah. And this comes on the heels of Equifax settling for a piddling $575 million after a data breach that exposed 150 million personal records. I mean, really? Less than $5 a record? Each record is that of a flesh-and-blood human being, remember? And, I mean, this is the problem. This is why they have that blasé attitude. There isn't any real liability. Government has completely shielded corporations from any sort of obligation to be responsible with our data. It also affects us, because if we have credit cards that have been compromised, then we're in trouble, because, you know, some guy can buy, like, $300,000 worth of stuff on our credit card, and then we're getting harassed by all these creditors saying, where's our money, and then it's up to you to prove you didn't buy it. Yeah, people have committed suicide over things like this when they've just got in too deep that they felt they couldn't get out of it. It's like, oh, nope, it's your fault. And again, as I said this before, I'm not a tech guy. The best I can do is look up stuff. And even then, I can't, you know, program, you know, my computer to be extra safe and all that. All I can do is just take the standard, you know, safety precaution checks, you know. But if a company is not being responsible with my information, there's not a damn thing I can do about it. Exactly. Most users are are not in a position to be able to properly protect themselves, even if they knew how to do it. It doesn't matter if my computer's protected, because all they have to do is go to their computer and say, ah, we've got Darth Fenrir's information, let's sell it to some guy on the black market now. Yep. And I mean, 
Congress made this big show of grilling Equifax about it, but ultimately they didn't do anything. You have the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. They did this big investigation, and they decided not to do anything. So now the FTC comes around with this pittance of a fine because the law is still viewing Equifax as a victim, which, I mean, granted, they sort of are. Someone hacked into them. But they're also, like Capital One, a company that was negligent with records that could be used to steal someone's identity and in the case of Equifax, it was records that they may not have even wanted Equifax to have, because at least with Capital One, it was like someone who, you know, applied for a credit card with Equifax. They were just getting everybody's data from third-party sources. Oh, yeah. By the way, I'm on Capital One right now, just looking up to make sure everything's okay, and they have this thing about information on the cyber incident, and the thing that's kind of annoying me right now is... uh. They're not actually giving people advice on how they can double-check to make sure their credit's okay. They're just like, their attitude that they're giving here is, oh, don't worry, we're working with federal law enforcement, we found the person possible arrest us, and we arrested them. I'm like, well, yeah, like you said, that's good and all that, but how do I know my information wasn't compromised? What can I do to protect myself if she did get my information and she sold it to someone, and now that guy is, you know, using it to forge a credit card, and then he's going to go on a shopping spree with it? Yeah, I mean, at least give you the information on how to freeze your credit. Yeah, where's the option where I can temporarily say, hey, you know, until this whole thing blows over, can you temporarily freeze my credit card so I can't use it? But that means no one else can use it. Yeah, and I mean, it's an inconvenience, but, you know. When you're calling up to do things like change your password or whatever, and they want to verify that it's you, what do they do? They ask you for your name, address, and the last four of your social. Well, the hackers have that. Oh, yeah. So they could call your credit card company at any time and take over your account. I mean, you have Yahoo, OPM, Marriott, Ford, British Airways. I mean, it's clear that this is just going to keep happening, and government is going to keep not holding them liable or just giving them a slap on the wrist. Until we start taking charge of our own privacy with secure alternatives. I mean, if you're using a cryptocurrency, someone getting your crypto address or your squirrel identity like we've been working on for logins, they can do nothing to you because that's just a public key. I mean, all this is just taking all your data and sticking it in a centralized location. That's just asking for trouble. So all of that makes Capital One this week's... Idiot Well, that wraps up this Wondering Which of the Buggers to Blame edition of the Bogosity Podcast. Come to discord.bogosity.tv where you can join the discussion and post a question, statement, news article, or rant. This podcast depends on you to keep going, so please go to donate.bogosity.tv where you can give using PayPal or crypto or subscribe at Patreon or subscribe to the podcast and YouTube videos early and ad-free. You can even support this podcast for free with the airtime extension. Thank you for listening, and thanks to Chris Hangartner for joining me. Yep, it's good you finally got some company this time. Yep. And you didn't have to do it all alone and sound like a ranting madman. Uh, I think I still sound like a ranting madman. Anyway, that's that's just how it's going to be. But until next time, here's a quote from L. Neal Smith. People never seem to understand that there's no such thing as safety. There never was, and there never will be. The world, the universe, is an inherently perilous place. Ironically, the worst danger we face today comes from those who would sacrifice anything, including their freedom, not to mention yours and mine, for the mere appearance of safety. The Bogosity Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution on Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License. Bogosity.
You can now get two free audiobook downloads and a 30-day free trial at audible.pagosity.tv. Your choice from the world's largest selection of over 180,000 digital audiobooks and spoken word content for your iOS or Android device, Kindle, or MP3 player. Go to audible.pagosity.tv now. I know firsthand experience what happens when you jump to conclusions like that because when I was younger, you know, I was acting a little weird and of course the trend back in those days was, oh, if your kid's not acting normal, he has ADHD and you know, they put you on medicine and that wasn't really doing anything to me and it wasn't until I was in high school that said, oh, your son doesn't have ADHD, he actually has a high-functioning form of autism known as Asperger syndrome. Yeah. You know, that's what happens when something becomes a trend and everyone jumps on it, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean a diagnosis of ADHD involves, look, it's not just like you're bored at school because lots of people are bored at school or whatever and you can't focus and all that. It's if, if it's if it's pervasive, you can't focus anywhere. Like you want to watch a movie and you're entertained by the movie, but you still can't focus on it. You know, that's the kind of thing that ADHD is. I know that, but, you know, the problem was that when I was growing up, you know, the trend was, oh, my kid can't pay attention in school, he must have ADHD, and now, for the most part, doctors resisted this and said, well, no, you know, there's more to ADHD than just he can't stay awake in school, but parents are like, oh, no, I want something done now, so they just prescribe them the weakest, you know, psycho drug they can find that won't really harm the kid just to shut the parents up. Yeah, give me a magic pill that solves everything. This is why you should never jump on a medical bandwagon, people, because in some cases, I think as we said earlier, the treatment can be worse than the disease you're trying to cure. 